Alrighty, guys, it is Stu. It is What the Fuck Gym Talk, and I have Vincent Maselli on the podcast. Vincent is the owner of a micro gym in New York City called The Body Blueprint, but he's also got a really interesting backstory. So, again, the, the link up here was uh, Vincent slides in my DM, hits me up, and he's like, hey, man, you know, I got this pretty interesting backstory, and I think essentially it was drugs. Uh, nightclubs, New York City, night, that kind of scene. And then I kind of ventured my way into, into business and the micro gym scene. And I was like, well, that fucking sounds really interesting. So um, yeah, let's definitely jam. I've always wondered what would happen if like a Dan Blazarian character opened up a fucking micro gym, right? Like I'd love, I would watch that, that fucking reality TV show every day. So, but anyway, I, got, I, I don't know. Maybe I've got the next best thing here. I don't know. <laughs> maybe we'll find out. But um, so Vince, uh, do you, is it Vincent? Vince, what do you prefer? Uh, Vin or Vincent doesn't. Vin, Vin is going to be is probably what I'm going to roll with here. So okay, so Vin, would you go ahead and kind of just give me give a brief elevator pitch introduction as to to who you are? All right, so uh, 34 year old from New York, born and raised. Um, worked on Wall Street out of college, did pretty well at it. Uh, opened and invested. In what year was that? I graduated college in 2006. Okay, so you got into Wall Street right when the time, right when it's getting, sh- right before the shit hit the fan. Yeah, so uh, I, I did pretty well there. I managed a, a pretty large book of business. Um, and then I got into investing and building nightclubs in New York City, uh, which was a super fun and expensive experience in, you know, running large companies. Um, and The nightclubs that are still around that you can name drop? No. I can name yeah. drop them, yeah. Yeah. So we go in, yeah, we go into it. Um, I'll, I'll give you all the names. They're, cool. they're pretty well known for anyone who kind of went out. Um, got into fundraising and starting companies. Uh, really found that I enjoy starting businesses as opposed to really running them. Um, got super fat. Got really skinny. Uh, thought I could win the CrossFit Games. <laughs> Moved to Westchester County. Found a gym. The first night was like, oh, this looks like a pretty cool economic model, and then built a gym in my hometown. Um, so that's like a really 30-second kind yeah. of Yeah, awesome. So let's get into that. So Wall Street, um, at least the probably the, the stereotype and the avatar most people think of is, well, that's awesome. You're probably making crazy amount of money. You're, they're thinking Wolf of Wall Street, right? They're thinking fucking, you know, Jordan Belford uh, kind of say, was, was that? It was that, is that what it was like? It, it, why would, why in the fuck would you ever leave that lifestyle? And again, I, I'm assuming the, this lavish lifestyle to open a goddamn brick and mortar gym. All right. So, uh, what, there were parts of what you just described that I did experience as far as like building a book of business and making a thousand phone calls a day. Um, as you know, Vincent Maselli from a Wall Street firm in New York City. I've got a new hot tip for you. So, um, my I would say my background was in definitely sales pitching and scripts and being able to convince people to give me just cold call, cold call, cold call. Yeah, yeah. Six six days a week for um, a base salary of one hundred and twenty five dollars pre tax. Uh, and if you didn't sell, you didn't make money. Sure. Um, so that part was all real. I would say, pending the success of that part, the other part that you that most people equate to Wall Street can or cannot happen. Um, obviously, there's you're talking about 13, 14 hour days on a phone. So there's there's ways that people need to keep themselves up or operating. Um, and, and those ways sound like cocaine, Adderall, Red Bull, that kind of scenario. Yeah. Yeah, like whatever people, everyone had their preference. Sure. Um, And even so, like cocaine wasn't really a big drug of choice for me when I worked on Wall Street, ironically. Um, I really enjoyed the public markets and like trading stock was a lot of fun for me and I was pretty good at it. Um, And then I when I worked at like a big investment bank and I managed a bunch of money. So like I, I like hopped out of the convincing your grandma from Missouri to give me her last 10 grand to work at a big investment bank and manage, you know, $700 million of like super conservative money. Um, So I would say my experience with that, like debauchery life of wall street didn't really happen during the days that that was like a, 
I would say a predominantly nineties thing. Got it. Um, but like the evenings and the happy hours, that was all there. Um, but I was similarly to now still a morning person. Like I used to get to my desk at like five 30 or six in the morning. And when the bell rang to close, I was out the door. So like I did the opposite of what a lot of people did. Um, and then one of my really good friends from college called me and we had, we had ran a, a nightlife business together in college and did really well. And he said, Hey, you want to open some nightclubs? And I said, fuck yeah, let's do that. And I walked away from my business um, and my partners on wall street. And we uh, led an investment into our first nightclub, um, which was Juliet supper club. So um, we built that in 2009 and we opened the end of 2009. Awesome. Um, kind of like my bridge into that. Got it. Now, it, how old are you at this point? Uh, graduated college 2006. I'm 22. So three, like 25. Okay. Six. So yeah. So like leaving the security of the, the conventional job to go and do something as risque as opening a nightclub at that, at that age, why the fuck not? Like you're not going to do it when you're 45. You might as well do it now. Kind of, was that just kind of why, why leave the consistent, like, or did you just have a passion for nightclubs or was it just like, it was sounded wild and exciting and you know, no, I literally hate corporate. Gotcha. I like it's, I mean, I would have been great at it. I could have like brown nosed my way all the way to the top and, but like it, it just, I just don't enjoy it at all. And I think like the bigger a company is, the less really interesting it is for me. Yep. Um, and I knew that the only way to create massive wealth was to take huge swings. Sure. Awesome. So, so you get the Juliet Supper Club. Um, were there any others that you guys ended up? Uh, so I'm assuming this was just kind of like a, you guys just went ahead, you get investors, come up, pitch them on the idea, get a design brand to come in and just architect the entire thing. And then boom, get it up and launch, and then move on to the next one. No. So actually the opposite. We were the investors. Got it. And we found a third managing partner uh, and, and New York City in the nightlife or hospitality business, the liquor license is the valuable piece because that's attached to an address. So what a lot of guys do is they just own five or 10 liquor licenses and they leave it vacant until they find, in my case, a sucker to write the check to build a new place for them. Sure. Sure. So we spent like eight, eight or nine months looking for properties to do ourselves. We got introduced through a mutual friend. This guy had out other nightclubs. We wrote a really big check and then we started building. What does the nightlife industry look like? So, I mean, it, like when I look at brick and mortar fitness, if you can, you know, obtain anywhere from a 20 shit upwards to a 30% profit margin, I give it you, you good job. You're getting a high five. What does that look like in the, in the nightlife? Like what margins are you guys looking at? If you were to be like, talk to another nightlife owner and be like, oh, what, your mar what would you, what would that conversation sound like? Um, so to give you a little, a little bit of kind of, um, I guess cl clarity on that without talking about percentages, we were doing like 250 grand a week in gross revenue and we were losing money. Yeah. So whenever I think of restaurants and bars, it's the one industry where you constantly throw away your product. Your product, your spill is so fucking high. Your, your shrink is so fucking high and you're literally managing this chaotic environment where it's so hard to control what's happening to your product, which is the liquid, the liquid inside of those bottles. Yeah. So you'll understand when we go into why I went into fitness, where my experience in nightlife plays a part because in hospitality, micro, use the word micro gym, but as yeah. a single owner, right? It's the same yeah, yeah. concept. It gets really good when you've got three, four, or five of them. Sure. Right? Because um, you could bring down all your back-end costs, all your hard costs stay the same, right? One accountant can run five properties and you incrementally increase them, right? So all of a sudden your net income goes from 4% to 8% to 10%. Sure. Right. And it just starts stamping and repeating as well as if you're the operator, you typically pay yourself a gross percentage of the business. So you make, you know, uh, 150 grand per location. You're making 500 grand a year off the top. Plus 
there's net income that shares with everybody. So yeah. in the hospitality business, it gets really attractive when you stamp and repeat it correctly. Sure. Kind of like people do franchise locations. Like if you franchise a Taco Bell, you're probably making a single digit profit, which is why you need 25 of them. Mm-hmm. So we were in the nightlife business when what I saw was what's happening in the fitness business currently. Everybody threw money at anything that sounded like it could work in hospitality. There were single operators opening the most ridiculous branded nightclubs that you could think of when we had our locations. And what you started to see is like two or three groups just consolidating the entire market. Sure. And could just outspend people. So we saw that coming. And I, I said to my partners and some of my competitors, I said, listen, like, you know, two and three operations, two and three location operations are just going to be outspent. How can I spend any money on a Tuesday when my, this guy up the block has David Guetta for a hundred grand and he's in, you know, a $5 million contract for the year with them. I can't do any revenue, right? When I'm like trying to break even on a thousand dollar DJ. Sure. But we, we saw that consolidation start to happen where two or three companies just started buying up the whole New York city market. And now New York city nightlife as a whole is uh, completely different than what it was, right? It's like very corporatized. You're talking about massive companies doing a hundred to 200 million a year in revenue. And there's not a lot of mom and pop startups in the nightlife industry, more conglomerate kind of scenario. Correct. Um, which is why the micro gym industry is exciting to me because I opened the body blueprint as a strictly a CrossFit five years ago. And I started two and a half years ago seeing that consolidation start to happen where you've got a couple of guys who have three or four locations. They operate independently, you know, and, and the owner probably has some decent net income, but I'm starting, I was starting to get phone calls for the most outlandish fitness brands you could think of. Cause everyone who wants to build a hundred or $200 million business launches in a key market like New York city, Miami, or Los Angeles. So due to my fundraising days, I started getting phone calls for like these brands that I'm like, yeah, no, I don't, I would never get involved. You'll be able to raise $2 million with your eyes closed because that's where the fitness industry is. It's like, what were the niches of those fitness brands? Were they like spin? Were they more like the, more the sexy, you know, the uptown uh, Manhattan Soho kind of shit? Like, what were you looking at? I saw a lot of spin. Um, I saw a lot of boxing brands, which is super hot, right? Like so Rumble is just killing it right now. A buddy of mine was their first investor, yeah. right? So like they murdered it. They hit it out yeah. of the park. And their model is super interesting because it's based off of hospitality. It's a bunch of hospitality guys. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I saw a brand that was like they operate at 40 degrees all day. And it's like the like Wim Hof ice theory that like you could do snatches in 40 degree weather and it's all right. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, yeah, you're going to be able to raise the money and people will like having a bar inside of an ice room. Like we have to wear like the Russian mink to get yeah. in and all that. And, yeah. And I told the guy, I said, listen, I would never show this to my network, but you'll probably raise your money and you'll probably open three or four. Cause like it, it has this like novelty. Yeah. It's yeah. So like you start to see, and that's where I started being like, all right, we're, we're entering an interesting time in fitness because people are just throwing money at it. Like look at Conbody. You familiar with Conbody up in New York? Yeah. Like there so one of the things I one of the things I tell gym owners, especially CrossFit gym owners, every CrossFit gym, gym owner looks like an incestual cousin of the same family. Cuz they just look what did the, you could like close your eyes and we could guess what the interior of every cross, the majority of every CrossFit gym in the country looks like. There's a rogue banner hanging up. There's going to be a freestanding rig. There's probably like you could think of the actual interior layout to the. Um, there's a a, a a bookcase where people put their Olympic weightlifting shoes overnight. Like it just it's this very rinsed and repeated thing for not a franchise model because people are just looking at what other CrossFit gyms do. One of the things I've tried to do my best on in New York City is, the, is my favorite playground to do this is to do field trips. Like when I was down there, I went and checked out Box and Flow. Liv Young is a woman who owns Box and Flow. Very cool niche concept. I love her studio idea. She's got an amazing personal brand. Um, but you look at the concepts that are in New York City. Like New York City is the is probably the biggest breeding ground for the most off the wall yet successful due to the the pure numbers, the math, and the supply and demand of it. But like Con Body is one of my favorites. 
Where else? Like, think of the number of people in New York City that are ex-cons and they want to find a tribe. Where can they find a tribe? Go to a gym where two guys were fucking ex-cons and they started this entire calisthenics program and you get your fucking mugshot when you get your membership and it's this sexy thing. And next thing you know, real housewives of New York City are fucking shooting there. And it just, it catches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, New York City is a special place. Yeah. Because there's so much money and everybody, everyone with money in New York, at least, wants to be a part of something cooler than themselves with the potential of a 10 or 100 time X. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, you can be a PE guy or a partner at a law firm and have a, you know, 10% stake in con body. And like, you could tell your friends about it and you can go there. You may work out or not, but then all of a sudden, Equinox buys it. Yep. And you're a fucking rock star. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you put a soul cycle happens, right? You know? Yeah. You, yeah. So, all right. So you're in New York City. You're rec- and so I like where this conversation is going. You're, you're seeing the, the comparison from the nightlife to the micro gym industry. So talk to me with that vantage point, right? Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the body blueprint. All right. So after I lost my clubs, which I didn't walk away, like we lost them right? Like I had a ton of money on my head, filed bankruptcy, really like the most broke. Like I had a vintage Rolex left over that the judge was like, cool, you could keep that. Right. Like, so I'm talking restart everything. Yep. Had just lost 80 pounds, gave up Coke, smoking and drinking. Right. Um, and because it was too expensive or because it was a, a good health habit. No, well, I was super fat and I'm like, yeah, well, I'm definitely not going to get skinny doing these things. So I just stopped them. Yeah. Right. I like literally just gave them up on a Monday and never did them again. Nice. Um, so was figuring out, like moved back to Westchester County, which is about 15 to 20 minutes North of Manhattan. Um, and was trying to figure out my next project. I had a couple companies that I had helped start that I was able to earn a little bit of income from and kind of like lick my wounds. And when I walked into who then became my partner's CrossFit gym, so I like, I flipped the coin. There was like an, uh, an Olympia ad and a, the old school Rich Froning box jump ad for BSN. Okay. And I was like, you know, 160 pounds shredded. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll do one of these two things. I don't know either really, but whatever. Fuck it. I'll flip a coin. It landed on CrossFit. So I was like, cool. I went to games.crossfit.com. I signed up for the open. And then I read the rule book and I'm like, I got to find a gym and go do these five workouts and go win the games. Cool. Because in my mind, I was like in better shape than rich in that ad. I'm like, oh, this dude, I knew nothing, right? Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. So I Google CrossFits in Westchester and I drive up and I go meet this kid and I'm like, yeah, I'm here to win the CrossFit games. I got to do these workouts, blah, blah, blah. Right. And he laughed in my face, literally laughed in my face. Cause like at the time he was like four times regionals, like, you know, he, he had already been like, how many fucking, this is a joke of a conversation. So anyway, that night I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. There's like something interesting that goes on here. I'm from a small town, 10,000 people, relatively wealthy in Westchester County. And like the people in my town kind of just stay there. So I was like, oh, this is a pretty cool business. If I built one in town and I wasn't a greedy asshole and didn't blow out ACLs, I should be all right opening one of these. That was like the thought I had. I went home that night, I signed up for my L1. I read how to open an affiliate, signed up for my L1, joined the message board, which at the time you had to do, uh-huh. and then like did whatever my application was. I wrote like a paper and I'm like, yeah, I did a whole bunch of drugs and whatever. I don't know anything about fitness, but I'm pretty sure I could do this. Right? I had a 250 grand per week business per business. Sure. I could pay rent and electric and like not hurt adults. Right. So like that was my whole thought. <laughs> pay my utilities and not kill people. That was like the entire premise of it. Right. Yep. Um, and then like the next eight months, I continued to go to the gym that I was going to. Obviously I didn't go to the games. I didn't even like, do an overhead squat correctly. And I'm like, okay, obviously I suck at this. Um, but I, I just started- love the fucking audacity. I just love the fucking, just like, fuck it. Yeah, of course I'm going to be the best in the world at this. Done. And I knew nothing I- about it. I literally knew nothing about it. I flipped, And if I had flipped a coin and it landed on the Olympia, I probably wouldn't even be talking to you. I would have attempted to be like a bodybuilder, right? Like 
So I'm searching for spaces and looking and trying to figure it out, the whole thing. And I raised a little bit of money after I found the space and we just opened. And Ryan laughed at me when I said it. The first class I coached was the first day we opened. And nice. all I knew was as long as I didn't. So Chris, my then partner, I took his pro. We made a deal. I'm like, bro, be my partner. He's like, I didn't know this. Four of his members before him had left and opened the closest competing gyms also. So that I'm like redoing all these conversations here that he had. Yeah. I'm like, yo, I'm going to open a gym. I don't want to be CrossFit, small town, nowhere. I want to be your second location because I don't know shit about programming. Having two locations better than one, whatever. Like the whole pitch of what I already yep. did from my nightlife business. So that took four You're months. just really good at bullshitting at this point. Like just faking it till you make it kind of scenario. Yeah. And like uh, for four months, I'm like, yo, you should come down. You could some, come see my space. I got a beautiful space. I come see my space. All this shit. Finally, I like buy jerk blocks from him. And I'm like, yo, I've raised a bunch of money. I have a really big space. I want you to be my partner. I don't want to write workouts. I'll coach all the classes. And like we made a deal. There we go. <laughs> and a so, business was made. Yeah. And then I pre-sold enough memberships to cover the whole nut the day we opened. And like I opened operationally in the black. Like I played a little bit of the cash game here and there. But for the most part, we like opened well. I sold like 100 pre-sells. Um, and like we just started to hit the ground running. I coached all the classes. I slept there overnight and yep. like just built it from there. Um, in hindsight, I probably should have raised like an extra hundred grand than what I actually raised, but you know, it ended up working out well. Um, so, so that's how I got into it. So that's, so that's how we get into it. Now, where are we at today? You've got the one yeah. location, correct? Yep. So we have the one location, Chris and I, um, we separated the brands. So about two years ago, my core team came to me and they recognized the same shift in the industry I did. Okay. Um, and, I, and I'm not going to go as far as say like group training's dead, but group training is different. Okay. And what a lot of, in my opinion, micro gyms do, especially CrossFits, we all fight for the same thousand people in like a 15 mile radius. And we just decided to try to play a different game. So my core group came to me. Um, and before like bodybuilding and CrossFit gyms was cool and people were running like, boot camps that were just CrossFits without a barbell. My two head guys spent a year building out what is now our build and boost programs and testing like hundreds of workouts. And they're like, we think we should add these to the mix. That way you could come and learn in CrossFit. You could take our bodybuilding class and build strength, or you could hit our boost class and we could compete with SoulCycle and Barry's. And they presented it to me and I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking with it. Let's rock. What's the worst thing that happens? Sure. Right. Um, and my partner didn't want to go that route, which is fine. Like we still have business dealings together. Um, he just kept his brand the way it was and we separated out into the body blueprint. Um, he wanted to stay more pocket knife and you went more Swiss army knife. Um, yeah. And, and he's got a, a I would say a, one of the more successful affiliates as well. He's been around nine years, I think. Um, and so I think every year since I opened, I've done some major renovation. I have like super commitment issues when it comes to like the building itself. Um, last year, we demoed the entire building on Christmas Day and rebuilt everything by Jan 1. Um, and we went from 7,200 square feet of complete open space to two very separate rooms with completely different feels, welcome area. We already had full locker rooms and showers. Um, but just completely changed the whole feel of the building. And that was last January. And then we rolled out double classes. So you could come in and take CrossFit or Boost, CrossFit or Build, you know, Build or Boost. We launched boxing six weeks ago. We have boxing. And like, so you come to our gym, you could get any kind of fitness you want. Yep. Uh, and it's still under a, a group training model. What do you, what have you found out of all the elements of that, the diversification of your classes, which ones are the laggards currently? And then which ones have been tried and true and they're staying just as big? Like what's your, you either think what's your moneymaker? So we're currently signing up two to one non-CrossFit members to CrossFit members. Got it. And it's almost not like, and we have people who will never leave our CrossFit room. 
and people who will never leave our build and boost room mm-hmm. uh, and, and vice versa. And then a good amount double down and mix and match, but our boost class far supersedes the interest than any other one. Um, boxing's only six weeks old. Sure. People absolutely love it. It is a great, um, it's a great class to add. We only run it one day a week. We're looking to run it a second, but you get people who could, you know, you take CrossFit twice a week and boost twice a week and then build and you hit abs and chest and then box. And all of a sudden you've got seven training days and you might only work out five days. Yeah. So, so this is interesting. So when, with what you're doing here, and again, I use that pocket knife to Swiss Army knife. I get a lot of gym owners who, they don't even figure out the CrossFit thing first. And they're like, fuck, I need to, you know what, this CrossFit thing, I, you know, I need more people. I need more people. What can I do to get them in here? So I bring them in with something that is, you know, is not my core offering. I bring in a side program or whatever to attract somebody in, which is perfectly fine. Um, but if you've got a broken initial model, you're probably not going to do the second one really, really well. But I guess it also talks about, you know, with your space. There are some gyms like, well, I've got 3,000 square feet. I'm like, I wouldn't be diversifying what the fuck you have with 3,000 square feet. You just don't have the footprint for it, you know? Do you, how big is the total building? So the to- it's 7,500 square feet. Yep. Um, and then we've got like, I guess similar to yours uh, where you have, I think you have three different businesses, right? And three different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so another we have another five thousand square feet that we're renovating into offices and an OPEX facility. Nice, cool. So, so talk. So you guys are going to go OPEX on that yeah. one, the individual design route. Yeah, so that way we have what we think we'll get is all the spouses who don't like group will come and work out on their own. Got it. Um, it also works out. It's a, it's a great one for any of the CrossFit kids who really want to play the sport of it. Because yep. the nice thing about the publicity, you know, the, what Instagram's done is anyone who really competes at that level has a coach. You cannot just come in and follow our group class if you really want to play the sport element of it. Um, so what, at what point, so I love that because I'm a huge fan of the OPEX thing. What point did you guys decide to do that? Uh, maybe, I think six months ago, um, one of my head guys, Dylan, came to me and, and he really kind of pushed it over the line. He said, listen, I think this is going to be the next swing for a lot of people. Um, you know, we've got the finances behind us and the ability and access to space yep. that will allow us to capture a much bigger slice of the market. Um, and he enjoys programming. Sure. So, you know, for me, I, I actually really dislike programming. Um, so he came to me about six months ago and everything was all like, like buttoned up and presented. And I'm like, cool. I think this is really cool. I think it could be interesting. I think it could add another kind of tool to our belt um, and our offering because the whole premise of our business is we could give you the blueprint for the body you want. Right. Or you could make your own. Right. So yeah. everyone gets all their workouts on Sunday and they pick and choose what they want to do. Sure. So, it just adds to it. And we do zero side work in our gym. You are not allowed to work out while class is going on, on the side. Um, we've got three masters athletes that come in in the middle of the day and work out. Um, I think two have gone to the games already. Like there, that's the only ones we don't want 28 year olds who think sure. the games, it's just not in our model yep. and they don't, really feel like they fit in in our business anyway. Yeah, 100%. With the OPEX model, they could probably, it'll allow us to reopen that open gym. Yeah, and it allows people, if you really do want to say you want to compete in that sport, put your money where your mouth is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you know, the biggest thing is when I have someone that wants to compete and they have a hard time spending 300 plus dollars for individual design, like, motherfucker, what do you think a ticket out to Dubai is going to cost you? Or like to any of these fucking, you know, re- so you got to, it becomes an investment. So I love that. Is, is the licensee model for OPEX, they, they are allowing you to have a, a group model, but it has to be separated by a wall. How is that working? So, so the way it works is the ad, like legally they can't be the same address. Which Correct. Means, yeah. Right. So because we're essentially in the same um, like complex but the addresses are legally different than that's how that works. Got it. That gets around that. Cause I know they, they really cracked down on that over the past year or two, you know, cause they had a lot of gyms that kept group 
And then they were doing the, they were the OPEX thing. They were just kind of playing half pregnant. They didn't really know which way it was going. And I thought it was a smart move by James and Jim to say, no, fuck that. No group. I agree. And, and our, and our OPEX model is strictly that, right? Sure. Like we want, there's no, it's, they're a cent, well, they are two legally different businesses. They'll operate completely differently. Um, they just happen to be in the same parking lot. Yeah. So where do you see that? So obviously, you know, what I did down here, you know, we, I still pay my three grand for the affiliation because we have so much SEO built up. Anyone in Charlotte that searches CrossFit, they find my original, my affiliate, which is CrossFit South End. And we'll, we'll get someone that comes in and they're like, yeah, I was looking for a CrossFit gym. I'm like, all right, well, this isn't, a, it's going to be a lot different. And I'd say one in three are like, perfect. I don't want to snatch out anymore. I'm, I'm not, I'm, a, I'm tired of the shirtless dude dropping weight from overhead. Like, I'm just like, I, this, this sounds actually perfect to me. I've been in it long enough and I've kind of matured. I look at like the, the, there's a level of maturity that happens in a CrossFitter to a certain point. When you, you realize, okay, I'm, I'm really not in this as a sport. Like I walked in looking for fitness. I fell in love. The culture switched it into a sport for me. Now I'm getting psyched out for five weeks about the open. Okay. Now I'm ready to let you know, myself come back down to earth, come back down to reality. Where do you see, if you were to talk, you were talking to a group of micro gym owners that are CrossFit affiliates. What do you see going on for them in the next 10 years? Where do you see that specific sector of being a, a, a part of the CrossFit brand? I think, um, so I, I'm extremely client experience oriented. Everything for me is based around that the client is um, paying for a service that they're happy to pay for every single day. So that does not mean that I cram down their throat that they need a one rep max snatch, right? Yeah. Um, so I personally believe understanding what your clients want is super important. Telling your clients what they need to do on your understanding of your own fitness could be a recipe for disaster where my 50 year old guys who have never snatched before, when they come to me and they say, yeah, like I don't really care ever about snatching and them coming for an hour to snatch a PVC pipe, I, it just, they, I felt like I was missing the mark on what I was trying to sell people. Sure. So I think the industry is going to see a lot of changes in the next decade, CrossFit as a whole. Now, because what's actually happening with the sport is so up in the air, which I believe will turn out better for the sport, right? So I sure. think the PGA circuit model they're building will create wealth for athletes who might never actually win the games. So like that aside, the fact that it's still up in kind of like flux right now, waiting for that, those cards to fall will help to understand a little bit the sport of CrossFit. Sure. The, the group training of CrossFit, I think people have to understand what their clients genuinely want, right? Whereas three years ago, if I programmed a 5K ski, no one would show up. Today, this morning, we programmed, uh, yesterday morning, we programmed tempo overhead squats and power snatches and double unders, and nobody showed up. Everyone took our boost class, which sure. was 60 minutes of torture. Yeah. Right? So it's super clear for us, you know, overhead squats and snatches, just like our clients don't care about that. Yeah. So that just means we don't need to do a snatch Wendler fucking strength program, however you want to call it, whatever, whatever bell and whistle. So I think being real about what your clients want is super important. I, I always equate it back to the fit to the, the the alcohol industry. So you have people who are whiskey snobs or beer snobs or coffee snobs even, and they you know sit there and they'll they'll poo poo this or whatever or they'll talk about this extravagantly. But the majority of the market just wants a cup of coffee, just wants a beer, something that's not too heavy, not too light, tastes good. Like they want the general thing. And you look at what Orange Theory's done in Berries and Rumble and, you know, the Metabolics and the Alchemy 365s. The average person just wants to get in, not have to think too much, wants to be challenged, doesn't want to get bored. But I even argue the boring part when you look at an Orange Theory model that has three modalities. You're going to always row. You're going to always run. You're going to always use TRX in the little weight room area. It, but they're moving for 45 out of 60 minutes, 50 out of 60 minutes. It's just get in, get it done. Does anyone truly care about coaching? Sure, some. And if you have an OPEX model, those people will gravitate to that a thousand percent. 
-hmm. Where, you know, if you're advising someone who's like, you know what? Okay. Then I've listened to you. I'm I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm going to open up a gym. So what are you saying? Should I not affiliate? Should I try to create my own brand, my own thing? Should I be going after kind of the high volume model of, you know, this more endurance based, less technical? What would you recommend? I would say before you even go to that step, there's one previous that should happen. And I did incorrectly in the first few years of the business. I think people have to take time to get really clear about what they actually want to sell every single day. Right. And what I mean by that is not only understand what you genuinely want to sell, but that the story you're telling outwardly is matches that. Sure. Right. So if, Yeah, I remember I ran an ad like three years ago of a girl and a stock photo in the bottom of a snatch. And like, we had a thousand likes and a bunch of shares and we got a bunch of phone calls from it, but it wasn't the person we wanted calling us, right? Yeah. When we got really clear about what our message outward was, then every person who came in already wanted what we were selling. Yeah. So So identifying your avatar client, customer, and then building the product second or service second. And really getting clear. And I think a lot of people misconstrue that they want a 29-year-old guy who could come in and do 15 muscle-ups and snatches as their avatar client, right? And that's what they then start to, to talk about. So I think understanding if someone really wants to open an affiliated CrossFit gym, they I think they need to be clear about what they want that message to be once they do that. Yeah. That think, yeah, no, it does. And I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of us, especially I got into it in 06. Back then you wanted the sexy competitive athlete shirt off. Doesn't give a fuck about the cleanliness. They just care about the programming and the quality of the workouts. It's kind of like a chef. You guys app a chef. Who's the last person you would want to serve your food to. It's another chef. Someone who could do the 15 muscle ups and competes, they have a higher level of knowledge of it. They're going to argue with you about the validity of your programming. Why do you do this when you could be doing this? Why don't we have this equipment? Versus someone who comes in, doesn't know fucking dick, and is just like, yeah, this is cool. (laughs) So what's the future for your business currently as we sit here in 2019? So the future for us, um, and I'm going to work better at this one because it was something that, that my, my management team actually pulled me back on. So I'm a, I'm a, a very forward looking vision kind of guy. Yeah. Right? To me, I'm always thinking about what the end of the year is going to bring and how I'm going to get there. And I may or may not get there. Right. But what the goal to, is, um, uh, successfully get the, the OPEX facility opened and launched and kind of running on its own. Um, and then pull out my build and boost programming and, look to try to open a standalone build boost model in a shopping center to compete with soul and orange theory and things like that. Yeah. That's like the, the short term goal and then either sell it to a, you know, PE firm or franchise it on our own. Um, That's interesting. So, so I think it's really interesting. You mentioned that. So what is it you think when I look at all the models that are franchising, Right. And so like OPEX obviously wanted to go ahead and they wanted to avoid the extreme cost of franchising. Franchising is very expensive. So they go the license route, which if we, if we look at a deregulated, you, you look at the affiliate route, what, what CrossFit does, you look at the license route, kind of what OPEX does. And then you look at the most extreme case, which would be a, a legit franchise. What is it you think is going to compete in the market? If right now, like, again, just like I saw the gold rush of everyone to the warehouse CrossFit model and OPEX. 2008 to 2014, really big. And whenever I see a gold rush, I always, you know, it's never the motherfuckers rushing for gold. It's the guys that are going to be there selling picks and as shovels and pickaxes and stuff. They're going to be the ones that make the money. Right now, the big gold rush, in my opinion, is the, uh, the 15 unit model. So a 15 unit, so it buries 15 treads, 15 workout stations, 15 row, whatever it may be high volume, 1800 square foot studio. So I can churn 36 to 45 people, high energy DJ, Mike. If that is the big rush right now, we can see kind of a lot of the franchise models running that route. Do you just see that? I mean, not that it falls flat, just like I don't think CrossFit falls flat. I just think the guys who do a really good win and stick around and the guys who don't die. What what do you think is the next thing then? I I always look for white space. Yep. So that's a really good question. And we obviously have to believe that we've 
we've figured that out, right? So we do five runners, five skiers, five bikes, five rowers, right? Yep. And a lot of what we do is based off of a 12 to 20 person class. So 12 to 15 people in our boost class and up to 20 people in our build classes, right? Now, what that allows us to do is two things. The big problems that I saw some of these other companies run into is they didn't have a membership model. They did punch cards only. So raising money gets challenging on punch cards only. As you saw with Soul Cycles, like sure. their IPO just fucking dropped. Because they have no projected revenue, you can't project a punch card. So we found a price point that works really well. And if you bring in coaches who have the ability to safely coach, not just cheerlead, you get this like in between of like what we consider like a CrossFit coach's ability to coach, right? Oh, knees out, track them, elbows lock, all that shit, that like super in-depth. And then you take like what you're seeing in the super trendy classes where it's like, you know, an intelligent fitness professional cheerleading. And like we have this in-between where we have guys 10 years in the industry, L1, L2s, NASA, really understanding body movement coaching classes that you might not really need to be coached to run. Correct. Yeah. It's the complexity of the movements warrants. What it, so I, I have this conversation with my coaches all the time. I tell Isaac, I'm like, I need C plus B minus coaching out of you guys for these classes. I don't need a plus. I don't need like, again, don't you're not, it's not your snatch coaching. When we, when we restructured our model, we went to our just move, lift and move classes. And we created our four signature classes. I need C plus to B minus coaching, meaning the quality you're giving is actually an A plus, but compared to what you know is like, you know, your background as a CrossFit coach for however many years and your background in strength and conditioning, it's going to feel like a C plus B minus effort out of you. But that's what these non-complex, crazy, you don't, you don't need it. You know, it's, it's it, the basics and the basics work really fucking well. Um, so I love what you were saying there. So that again is my white space theory, right? So in the back of the day, I, I believe there was Globo Gym on this end. CrossFit on this end, right? And and there was all and, you know they kind of start getting closer and closer together. It, and now the white space, I believe, is an Orange Theory model, and then a CrossFit model. The white space is in between. Someone who does run, row, and TRX bands and the little dumbbells in an Orange Theory class, the next logical step is not an overhead squat. It is not a rope climb. There is a huge amount of white space in between these two models right now. And you'll see it like companies like Metabolic, they're a franchise. You know, they essentially, they took Fight Gone Bad and their, their original LLC was Fight Gone Mad and then they got sued by CrossFit. Um, but now Metabolic and you, they have five stations, right? Each station, so very similar to what you do and what I do, it sounds like here at Just Move. Five stations, um, five units at each one. So five rowers, five kettle bro kettlebells, five slam balls, and maybe five skis. And there's lanes. There's heavy lanes for the strength, and then there's medium lanes, and then lighter lanes. And just like you can color identify a kettlebell, light, medium, heavy, whatever, and you just move, it's just like fight gone bad, in different intervals for different periods of times, blah, blah, blah. But now you have your hands on bells and balls, not bars. Barbells, um, in my opinion, are great for fitness, bad for business, especially if you're looking at one of these kind of white space models right? You cannot fit. You know, this is the biggest problem with a CrossFit gym. Someone calls me like, man, I just opened up shop. I'm like, congrats. How many square feet? They're like 2,600. I'm like, do you have a barbell? And they're like, yeah, I'm like, you're fucked. I don't know how you're going to fit more than, what, you're going to fit 12 people on a class max? You're going to have five popular classes a day? Your average class revenue per class is going to be $12? You're fucked. You have, like, take the barbell out and we can now get an 18 or 19 in there. Now we can actually have some decent revenue per class. What do you see in that, like, as you're, t- as you're thinking of your boost and your build program, and obviously your build's like your functional bodybuilding-esque kind of program, is that appropriate? Yeah, and it's even, and it's even one step, I would say, simpler than that. So, so Dylan built that program out, I would say about a year before, like, functional bodybuilding really sure. came out, right? And we built it, and it, and it was super intricate, and it was banded this, and one arm that, and all this stuff. And we recently just went super simple. You're talking like you're hitting chest, old school style chest and abs and then back and legs. And it's really meat and potato exercises, but it's done at a way that you and I can hit it. And the mom who's 57 can do it also. Got it. Everyone feels the same way. 
Um, and that's where people can lift heavy or light. Boost is unweighted all the time. Yep. Got it. So the boost is yeah. body weight and ergs. Yep. The only thing, the only thing you'll touch in boost is we do uh, 20 pound or less med ball slams or a rogue slice sled. Yep. I think once every two months we'll do a heavy push and it's like one every five minutes. Cool. Right. Yeah, Those yeah. are the only weighted things you'll touch. And then you'll use the assault bikes, both um, ski or row and assault runners. You guys utilize any personal training as a revenue stream in the model? Is it purely group? We do. We have personal training. Um, I do zero of it. Uh, I should go like kick those people over to the OPEX model. Um, we most likely will. We'll, yeah. And it, and it comes from that when you pay for an hour of class, I don't want someone else. Like I really am trying to get the room empty for yep. that. A hundred thousand percent. Like I'm, I'm so big on narrative. I created this coffee, this coffee lounge, right? And there's a huge window that looks into the, the training floor. Um, training floor is the wrong word, the workout floor. Uh, and, and essentially the one thing I like when I got rid of all the CrossFit kids, I couldn't have somebody fucking up my narrative. I'm so big on creating a narrative in a word. Somebody visual looks at the workout I couldn't have this chick snatching in the quarter in her fleo shorts halfway up her fucking ass. And, and it would just, it wouldn't fit the story. And when you were talking earlier about you've got to figure out who it is you want to go after and then create the story to pitch that person based on the product. You know, the gym owner's like, yeah, I'm just looking for the everyday person. Like, oh yeah, who's that fucking, fucking ripped half naked dude over there fucking snatching a thousand pounds? Oh, that's just Johnny. He's just, a, you know, he's one of our members. He's been around for, I'm like, yeah, he's fucking up your goddamn narrative. Like you're telling me you want this person. His presence there during your prime time, you have no idea the implication on the client experience, on the CX and that entire thing. Somebody walks in and they're already nervous about a CrossFit gym. And they're like, okay, let me check it out. This doesn't look too bad. And then they look, yep, I knew it. I knew I was going to see that fucking guy. Like everyone who's been ever nervous about walking into a CrossFit gym has that visual of that shirtless dude throwing weight from overhead. And now you just confirmed what they were fearful of for the fucking nine months leading up to the time they walked in here. I just don't think enough gym owners really understand that. And again, I think it's a lack of going to other locations. Like, do you have a favorite, like, do you have another gym outside of your own that, like, a model that you really look up to for inspiration or you've really been at, you know, you really think is a powerful model that you've gone and enjoyed their, you know, their client experience? So, whenever I, before I built the gym, um, I travel a ton. And anytime I travel, I try to go to two gyms in every city I go to um, just to see. Sure. And it's super unfortunate that I'm going to say this, but I, I want to be like honest and have a really quality conversation. The best client experiences I've had around the world were all non CrossFit gyms. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, you know, Listen, there's guys that do it really, really well. I spend a lot of time in San Diego. CJ's got an awesome operation. Um, I spent a lot of time in Northern California. I think what they did at, at MC Fit has a really good operation. Like, I'm, There's just places around that I've always felt really welcomed. And like the ease of entering a business as a stranger was really simple. Mm -hmm. And I've been to some gyms that were, it was absolutely atrocious. And I was like tracking people down to get into just try a class that I wanted to pay for also. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I don't necessarily have a fitness brand that we tried to model ourselves off because if we did what we're doing correctly, we'll either be really wrong or really right. And that's kind of where I want to be. Sure. Um, so you know, I think by offering what we think is missing, as you call it, the white space, which I, I kind of like, I'm definitely going to steal that, and we do it correctly, we'll be really successful. But to yep. me, walking into places that can piece together that I'm the guy dropping into their class, that they can check me in, that they give me the water bottle, like you want people to feel the love from the second they walk in and have it be kind of not hand-holding all the way through, but like fitness classes aren't cheap. People deserve to get a premium for a premium. Yeah, and one of the things I think that makes, the reason you probably have not had a great CrossFit experience is there is such a lack of consistency. 
Like even in just the consistency of, I expect to come in and perhaps meet somebody at a front desk type scenario. And they get Jim was like, yeah, we don't have a front desk. I'm like, you fucking dumb motherfucker. The strip club I go to has a front desk. Denny's has a front desk. Like everywhere has a central point of contact. And you fucking think you're going to survive in a 20 year macro without the element of how powerful a front desk is just from a CX perspective. No, someone's just going to walk into your warehouse and look around and have to figure it out. Like that is the mindset that I think, again, Darwinism will just eat them the fuck alive. Um, and I didn't do it correctly, right? Oh yeah, I didn't have it in I my first year either. Right, like I didn't have it for a long time. And even so, we've like moved it and we've played with it and we've renovated and yeah. figured out where it makes the most sense. Um, but it's, yes, the, the, the experience for me is really what's super important because if, if I pair together all the things that are important to me and that's mitigating actual injury, right? Outside of freak accidents, sure, keeping someone feeling loved and happy and getting better at their health and wellness in an hour and being navigated through that um, politely, the overall experience they'll then put out will always be positive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's one of these, you know, a lot of guys I think have dreams of opening a multiple, another location maybe, which we get to argue the, is that the right move or not from most locations? Some, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, or franchising, like, you know, I joke around all the time and someone will be like, you know, what's the whole purpose of this what the fuck gym talk thing? I was like, I don't know, maybe subconsciously, I'm just growing a big ass fucking audience so that when I franchise Urban Movement, I already have a built-in list of people. You know, like whatever you want to do with your shit, the, the number one thing going back to is that consistency. You could never, repl if you can't replicate it to the fucking T, no one's going to pay a franchise tag of $250,000 for it or whatever you're going to charge if you're not literally handing them every corner covered, every element of your franchise model covered or if again even if you're open not opening a second location yeah if you're open just a single corporately owned like alchemy 365 a really interesting model out of minneapolis they're all corporate owned you know who knows they got that second market in denver maybe a vc firm like a, an equinox-esque kind of vc firm looks at them and says hey yeah you've opened up nine locations in five years and you're doing this fuck it well we're going to take that off your hands here you know go away um i think there's a lot of opportunity for that if you can exploit that white space but I think there's, there's very progressive markets like New York City, and I cannot recommend enough to anyone listening to this, take a flight up there and just walk around. And New York City is so loud and busy, your branding just like, you're, like even like Box and Flow when I went there, they don't have an extravagant sign. Like most of these places just maybe have an awning mark, like a fucking, the letterheads on the awning or just something witty and it's going to catch your eye on fucking, you know, just decals on the front glass door. Not everyone has a crazy fucking location like a Manhattan Rumble type scenario. But I think, you know, New York City is one of those, you know, New York, Chicago, um, I'd say Boston does a halfway decent job, LA obviously, but these markets where you have to be creative to grab someone's attention because the fucking inputs visually are just absolutely, it's, un it's insane. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would say anyone that, grows a gym in the New York market has a, it could, could probably show up in any other market and, and do relatively well. Um, just, just to that pure environmental phase or environmental aspect alone. But, um, awesome. One last thing I wanted to ask about, I know you were on the podcast with the shrugged, uh, collective guys. I've not listened to the podcast yet, but I'm looking at the headline before getting on this call. What was the murder? There's an element in the title of your podcast that talks about, Murder. Yep. So uh, there was a, uh, a murder inside one of my nightclubs, right? Um, like guys came in, you saw them like pay off the bouncers on the cameras, like told them to go take a walk. They all left and opened the like ropes and then they walked in and they, they like shot up the place and the guy got murdered. Um, and that for me was like my... That was it. My, that was it for me, right? Um, there was a whole bunch of other things going on in my business as a whole, yeah. financially, um, partner-wise. There was a lot of noise, and the murder was like the big straw for me that like just broke the back. 
and I just walked away from everything. Were you guys legally liable for any of that? Well, so yes, we were, we had massive insurance that covers that kind of stuff. Right. So, you know, when I, when I talk to Vaughn at affiliate guard for my insurance, I always like giggle with him because the insurance I had in my other businesses were like insane. Right. I'm yeah. like, you, I get like quarter million or million dollar lawsuits all the time owning nightclubs. Sure. Um, so we were liable. Nothing ended up coming out of it because the gentleman who got murdered was known for robbing celebrities in nightclubs. And he had like been out of jail for, I don't know, like 48 hours. And I don't have all those details, but like sure. it was a murky situation to begin with. Um, so there wasn't massive fallout short of New York city, keeping me closed for 20 days, which you can't recover from. I was going to say it's a nightclub. You're literally, that is, that's a death sentence. Yeah. So, uh, for me, from the PR perspective was a disaster. It was a complete disaster because on that night, um, we had almost every, major celebrity in the club that evening and like there was a big spot on espn from it because a bunch of giants were in there and like it was a huge thing um and working with the pr agents and like handlers for all these people was a huge thing all like it was just a lot it was a lot to like take in um my other club had like the massive chris brown drake fight that like a lot of people still remember yeah so that whole nother disaster um yeah so like to me when i started to look at opening a gym i was like well at least i don't have to deal with this kind of bullshit it couldn't be that much harder right like a hundred employees and pmz is not showing up right so it just for me was like cool i think i should be able to navigate this sure awesome man um yeah that was uh it was it was interesting but i learned a ton that's awesome um, I look and the last thing that I took away from the nightlife business was people spending enough money in a nightclub could dictate what happens in the club that night. So, right, like, about that. so if you're spending like 50 grand on a Wednesday and really the DJ starts playing at the time it was Skrillex, that was like the new thing that rubbed everybody wrong. But a guy spending 50 grand who's like, bro, I'm going to close my tab if you don't change the music. Like, I used to kick DJs out of the booth all the time because a guy paying the week's nut, right? Like, yeah. You don't have to put on like ACDC if that's what he wanted to hear. But at the time, Skrillex was super abrasive to people. Sure. And it was a very acquired taste. Yep. And so I started to understand that while, yeah, technically the client's always right there is something that goes to say to listening to what clients say. Oh yeah. Right. When they're spending money in your establishment. I think that's one of the things in a a micro gym, the average micro gym owner, it takes too much of what they listen to the loud minority. Sean Pastooch, the over with active life, he made a post the other day. It was a Henry Ford quote. Like if I would have listened to my customers and asked them, they would have said they wanted faster horses. Yeah. You know, I mean like, you know, it, you know, a lot of times, like I, the changes that we made in the gym, I didn't ask anybody's fucking opinion. I didn't ask the members, the ones who identified with it and said, hey, that, that rocks. That's great. They stayed. The ones who didn't, they left. But if you're constantly pulling the village or letting, you know, I call it letting the inmates run the asylum, like, you know, so when I walk my dog, it's a, he's a hundred pound fucking dog. Like sometimes it's like, who's walking who, right? Kind of scenario. And I just never wanted that to be my business. I didn't want my business fucking running me. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a happy medium to both, right? Sure, 100%. And when we changed our whole brand over, we got away from like Strongman Fridays and Conditioning Thursdays. And a lot of my members are like, oh, you guys aren't programming CrossFit anymore. And I'm like, no, we're actually programming exactly what CrossFit is. Constantly varied functional movements at high intensity. We're just being a little pickier on which movements we do. I say that right. shit all the time. Um, you know, we got w- rid of like, the Wendlers and the like these branded days in our CrossFit class. And we just program CrossFit in our CrossFit classes. Yeah. And it's really about education. Yeah. That's it. Again, it's like pizza. Someone's like, man, I love this pizza. And someone else like, that's fucking deep dish. I hate that. Give me that thin slice shit. And like, if CrossFit's the same way, like someone be like, that's not CrossFit. And another person that could be, that's all they know is that that is CrossFit to them. It's just, 
that's the problem with the branding confusion with that word. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of people want to put their own DNA on something too. I think, again, a lot of us realize we just kind of ancestrally copied what the gyms around us or what we saw online. And, and now people are wanting to, to have a little bit of ownership, I think. And like, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging, dressed, wearing what I want to fucking wear. Not, you know, dressed with what the gym down the street did or, you know, that kind of scenario. But awesome. Then, man, this was great, dude. Thank you so much for taking the time today. It was a pleasure, man. Very good. If anyone is uh, ever in your area of New York and they want to come in and drop in and get a workout, where, what city are you in again? We're in Westchester County, Pelham, New York. Got it. The body blueprint, guys. If you're ever in town, you ever go up to New York City and you take my advice to go uh, do some window shopping and check in on some other models and get, uh, get a little bit of inspiration, go check out what, what Vin's got going on. Thanks again, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you.